Well, if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, this next story won't mean a lot to you. But if you're older than a millennial like I am, it's going to mean the world, I promise. Hang in there. <clears throat> My brothers, I have two younger brothers, and every year around the holiday season, we could not wait for the month of November to roll around because we knew something was coming in the mail. We couldn't wait. We just counted down the days toward Christmas and the, the moment we can make our Christmas list because what was coming in the mail in November was the Sears Wish Book. <laughs> and for those that are old enough, raise your hand if you remember getting that in the mail. Yeah, a ton of us in here. This book was almost as thick as my Bible. And it was chock full of all the toys any kid could ever want in the world. I mean, my brothers and I would sit at the table and we would thumb through page by page. We would dog ear some things that we really wanted. We would draw circles around uh, certain toys with our name beside it because we wanted Santa to know exactly what we were wanting for Christmas. These were the things that we hoped for. And we would begin to make our list off of that wish book based upon what we were hoping for in the holiday season. Now, some of you this morning began this year with a hope for list as well. Some of you started this year and you were thinking, this is the year I'm going to finally meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. I don't know if it's at the office, at the party, or maybe at the gas pump, but I'm going to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright in my life this year. For some of us, we hoped that this was the year that we were going to be more physically fit. And that worked for about the first two weeks of the year, didn't it? And then we kind of threw all that to the side and started eating donuts again. That's just kind of how it works sometimes. For some of us, we had hoped we were going to reconcile our marriage this year and kind of get it on more firm ground. For some of us, we had hoped for a promotion at work, that all the hard work that we're doing, the boss would see, we would get promoted, and with that, a raise in salary. We had hoped for a lot of things this year, but as the months have rolled along this year, that hope has turned into hopelessness. And for some of us in here, we are living in a very difficult time in our life. It's a heartbreak moment. It's a difficult moment. And this entire month, we're going to be talking about the hope that Christmas brings to us. We're going to dig into the Christmas story and what it means for us as people who believe in a risen Savior, who believe that our God is alive. We want to have that hope that only He can provide. So we start with asking the question, what is hope? And hope is this joyful expectation of the future. It's the idea that right around the corner, just tomorrow, just around the river bend, is this idea of something better in life. And we are innately programmed, I think, to have hope because it moves us on into the next day, in the next week, into the next year. We want to have the hope that only God can provide. And any time you see a story unfold, whether that's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you see God's people leaning into hope. They know that God has made promises that will not fail. And so they have renewed strength and energy and a movement forward because of what God is doing in their life, what they see happening. They know that God is in control. And so for us, when we have that coworker that won't come to the table, that won't work things out, we keep moving forward. But when you're in a marriage and, and the other one doesn't want to work things out, you keep moving forward. 
When you get passed over for that promotion and work that you've worked so hard for, you keep moving forward because you hope that God has something better in store for your life. We gain our strength from the Lord. See, I firmly believe that God has created within us this innate movement or fuel for hope. It's the one thing, no matter if you're a believer or not, hope gets us to the next day. It moves us to the next hour. It moves us on in the relationship. We have that hope that is inwardly within us. But for some of us, we're running low on hope right now. Now, I know some folks in this room have had this story happen to them before. In my life, I've had it happen when there's a coworker sitting in the passenger seat of my car. Most times, it's Robin sitting in the seat, passenger seat of my car. But it never fails. I'm driving down the road, and out of their peripheral, they'll see my fuel light come on. And immediately, they want to let me know, you need to pull over and get fuel right now. But for me, it's the answer of two questions. Do I pull over and get fuel right now, or is this the beginning of the game? How long can I go before I need to get fuel? Another day? A couple of days? I'm not exactly sure. And for some of us in our life, we ask that question about the fuel light that is hope within our own soul. This morning in the Christmas season, as we begin to celebrate, is your your hope indicator light, is it saying that you're full? Is it half empty? Has the light come on and you need to be reminded of the hope that only God can give you in your life? And if you feel this morning that you're running on empty, whether you're in this room or joining us online, I want you to know that you are not alone. And Satan wants to isolate us and put us in a corner and and make us believe that we're in this thing by ourselves. But it's not true. You've got your spiritual family, number one, and you've got God who's with you as well. You are not alone, even if you're feeling like things are not going your way. In our current cultural milieu, I mean, we look around and we can become anxious fairly quickly. The world around us wants to rob us of hope. I've got friends who are right now so much in debt, they're wondering, am I ever going to get out? Is there ever going to be a moment where I'm not anxious about checking the mail because of another bill coming in that we might not can pay? I've got friends who are working long hours every week, 50, 60, 80 hour weeks. Some folks who are working two different jobs and they still can't make ends meet. And they're wondering, is there ever something on the horizon that will promise me some hope where I can move forward and feel not as anxious day to day? Some of my friends are in this deep pit of depression. And they've got this cloud around them seemingly and they feel like they are in the dark and they're wondering, am I ever going to feel joy and happiness again? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? I've got friends who who want desperately to have children, but month after month, the womb is still empty. I have conversations with many of you throughout the course of the week. We're kind of freaking out about what's going on in the world around us. As you watch the news, we discovered that there might be a recession on the horizon. The stock market is not doing nearly as good as we had hoped. There's trouble over in the China area. We look at the difficult war going on between Ukraine and Russia. The pressure we feel from maybe the Middle East. And the list goes on about the anxious spirit that sometimes our culture creates within us. If your hope tank light is on, I want you to know you are not 
alone. And whether you're in this room or you're joining us online, you are in the right place. Because church, I serve a God who specializes in restoring hope. He is a mighty powerful God. So amazing. So we asked this question this morning, how in the world do I get my hope restored? How do I fill the tank back up? Where does my hope really come from? And you look in the Old Testament at all the stories and the narratives that unfold during Israel's difficult moments, the moments of uh, oppression, the moments of captivity, the moments of famine and death and difficulty. And in every single moment, you have kings and prophets who are pointing toward this promised hope, this Messiah that is to come. Their life is going to be different. And in every moment, God points toward the coming Messiah. You see, Messiah, we hear that word, and it simply means hope to us. We hear that word Messiah in the Hebrew, Mashiach, that means hope. Messiah is the Old Testament word translated in the New Testament as Christ. I know I just revealed that Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's actually a title. (laughs) Messiah and Christ is the same exact word. But what does it mean for us? By definition, it is the anointed one, the deliverer, the savior. And over 300 times in our Old Testament, God uses that word to point us toward people who believe in God, toward a coming Messiah, the hope for the future. Time and time again, God shows us that he's not left us, that he has a plan. And this morning, I want to kind of look at some Old Testament texts. We'll finish up in the New Testament, but just some reminders about what does Messiah mean to you and to me as we begin and launch this holiday season. And all month long, we're going to be looking at and digging into this idea of hope. But the first idea is this, that hope is the plan. Hope is the plan. And one of the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, who uh, was prophesying during a very difficult time in Israel's history, he wants to remind Israel and us today that there is hope on the horizon. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, Jeremiah says, For the time is coming, says the Lord. When I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line, he will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. Jeremiah points us to a God who has a plan. He's created a wonderful future for you and for me. And as heartbreaking as your particular news is in your personal story, I want you to know that God has a plan for you. As tough as the evening news is to walk, watch, I want you to know that God has a plan. As difficult as that conversation is going to be with your family member or that close friend, I want you to know God has a plan. As difficult it is to sleep sometimes at night because you're anxious about what is coming tomorrow, I want you to know that God has a plan for you. And God gives us a joyful expectation of what the future can and will bring. I've lived my whole life much like you, with plans that have come together and plans that have fallen apart. 
I remember back in the summer of 1986, had just graduated from high school, told a little bit on myself there, uh, but we had never been on a family vacation. We had been all over the world, but it was always church-related, mission work-related, gospel meeting-related. And so dad realizes that I'm headed to college, may not be home. And so he says, we're having a family vacation this summer. We lived in Arkansas at the time. He says, we're going to go up and see Mount Rushmore. Great, let's go. But our little car would not seat three teenage boys in the back for long distance. So we borrowed someone's car from church. That's an important part of the story. We borrowed someone's car from church that fit us a little bit better. So we started on our trek. We left Arkansas, headed north. We saw some things along the way until finally we get to a little bitty town called Scenic, South Dakota. Population guarantee about 200 people is all. Dad takes a left turn onto a gravel road. And he says, he announces to the family, I'm going to take you in the back way to Mount Rushmore. We're going to go through the Badlands. Now, remember, this is a time when there are no cell phones, no Garmin's, no Google Maps. We've got the old paper atlas in our car. Anybody have the paper atlas in your car? A few hands going up in here. And we start down this gravel road. I mean, Dad is flying. And the 18-year-old, that's me, who... He's never spent a day in his life, um, decides to help dad on the journey. And I say, dad, I feel like you're going a little bit fast on the gravel road. Can you slow down a little bit? And then my dad says his famous phrase, looking in the rearview mirror, just sit back and enjoy the ride. <laughs> and so almost right away, we both smell gasoline. He stops the car, we open the doors, he and I look underneath the car, only to see gasoline chugging out of the gas tank. One of the rocks from the road has popped up and put a hole in the gas tank. We're in the middle of nowhere. We shut the doors, he looks ahead on the horizon, there's a farmhouse, he speeds down the way until finally when he gets to the yard, we run out of gas, he coasts into the yard of the farmhouse. And we get out and we go knock on the door, nobody's home. We kind of take a lap around the area, nobody's home. And so Tim has this brilliant idea, and he says, Dad, you know, we just passed this little town. Why don't you let me and my, the, the middle brother, Wit, why don't we walk back to Scenic and we'll call a wrecker? He says, that sounds like a plan. Your mother and the little brother will stay here in case somebody comes home. We can use the phone. I said, let's do it. What we didn't know, this is the middle of summer in the Badlands. We are seven miles from Scenic, South Dakota. So my brother and I, we begin walking down the, the road. We finally get to Scenic, and there is a, a watering hole there, a, a little saloon type, and there is a, a payphone outside. So I call the closest wrecker about 40 miles away. I'm waiting on it to come, but I need Dad to know what I've done. So there's a group of men, adult men, who are hanging outside the bar, and I ask them, hey, would you take my brother to my dad down the road? This is a Lifetime movie, right? It could be, for sure. <laughs> I used to have four, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so Witt jumps in the car with these other guys. They head down the road, and they drop Witt off. The wrecker comes. I jump in the passenger seat. We head down the road. We get to the farmhouse. No kidding. We pull up in the yard. My family is sitting on the trunk of the car, chewing every piece of gum that we have in the car in order to make a big enough ball to plug up the hole in the gas tank. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. It's true. 
You know, sometimes that's a good metaphor for the life that we live, right? Because we have difficult times, we have plans that don't go the way we thought, and we begin metaphorically chewing gum trying to plug the hole when God's already said, I am your promised hope. I am the one you need to lean on. Church, I promise you in your own life, good or bad, if you will let him, God will use every piece of your life to bring him glory. Every piece. You see, Messiah brings joy because we're reminded that God took the time to make a plan, which brings us to this second idea, that the Messiah is a person. See, God makes a difference in our own mess because he fulfills his plan by sending his son, Jesus the Christ. And another prophet in our Old Testament who writes some 700 years before Jesus is born, writes in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God sends his one and only son to us. No ordinary son, but the son of God, fully human and fully God. The center of God's plan is the most powerful person to ever, ever live. And he makes a difference in our life. See, your, your hope is only as secure as what you put your hope in. And might I suggest this morning that some of you have lost hope because you have chosen to hope in something that will not last. Some of us have put our hope in our bank accounts and stockpiling money so we can buy all the comforts of life that we ever wanted uh, in our life. Some of us chose to put our hope in the stock market, which hasn't done very well over the last three or four years. Some of us chose to put our, our hope in our education, our job, our career, and the nameplate on our office door. Some of us chose to put our, our hope in a politician or a political party. Some of us chose to put our, our hope in a college football team that did miserably this year, but that's okay. <laughs> story for another time. Some of you are listening this morning realizing, you know, that's exactly what I've done. I put my hope in something that will not last. And while I am very sad for you in this morning, this moment, I'm also very excited because today just might be the day that you put your hope and the one thing that will never, ever, ever fail you, and that is Jesus Christ. He will be with you forever through thick and thin. After all, he is wonderful counselor, prince of peace, and everlasting father. He is an incredible king of kings and lord of lords. And we celebrate him not only this time of year, but every month of the year. He is our Messiah, Savior. Which brings us to this third idea. The Messiah is a presence. See, the Christmas story reveals that the Messiah not only came to us, but he also stayed with us. And he says in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 beginning, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with you. 
He is the person who is God walking with us. And nothing makes me smile more than knowing that my Savior loved me enough to send me his son to personally intervene in my life. There is a New Testament story that you're going to know very well. It's from Jesus' ministry, John chapter 8. Jesus is teaching in the temple area in Jerusalem, and his disciples have crowded in. There is a crowd that is gathered. They're listening to what Jesus is saying about the fulfillment of the Bible, that, that we don't serve a wrathful and vengeful God, but one that is loving and inclusive. They never heard such teaching before, but suddenly there is a, a racket in the crowd. The crowd parts way, and suddenly the Pharisees, leading Pharisees, are walking through the crowd. Jesus stops teaching and talking. As they approach him, they're, they're dragging a woman who probably at best has nothing but a bed sheet on, and they throw her in the dirt at Jesus' feet, and she lays there sobbing, carrying the guilt of her sin, the public shame of her humility. What a humbling moment. And she knows the law. She knows what's coming. And the Pharisees, in order to trap Jesus, say, you know, the law of Moses says that a woman caught in adultery like this woman should be stoned to death. Jesus, what do you say? And the text says that Jesus got down on his knees and began writing in the dirt. And I like to think that he was writing the names of the guys that brought her in and their sin that they're dealing with in their life, but we don't know what he wrote. Maybe he's writing something from one of the Psalms. Even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I won't fear. And then he says, those of you without any sin at all, you can throw the first rock. And as the story continues, we find that from the oldest and the wisest down to the youngest, they drop their stones and they simply quietly walk away. And then finally, Jesus asked the woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they're all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I accuse you, but go and live life differently. Can you imagine what the rest of that woman's day was like? Now, what do we get out of this story in John 8 for us? Is that in our story, when we are in the valley, when we feel in the dark, when we feel hopeless, that Jesus gets down in the dirt with you too. He will never leave you alone. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Whether we're celebrating on a mountaintop or we find ourselves in the dark, Jesus will never, ever leave us. Every single day, whether it's victory or defeat, whether there is light or darkness, whether there is a healing or a hurt, know that Jesus is with you. That's why, church, we have real hope this holiday season. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And I've heard your stories. I know that there is some difficulty going on in your life. We've got some folks who have lost a spouse way too early in life, still raising children at home. Some of you are dealing with dark depression. And you're just wanting to see the light of day again. Some of you are trying to figure out how to fix your marriage. You feel like you're walking alone in this moment in time. But church, we fix our eyes on Jesus. I don't know why I've never found this last text that we're going to look at. But as I was getting ready for this series and I stumbled upon it, I thought, man, this is powerful Christmas stuff. 
This is what our holiday season is really all about. Paul encapsulates it in just one verse. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, if you've got your own Bible, you need to mark this up. But Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you, did you hear all of that great stuff in there? Peace and joy, love, God, Jesus Christ, you and me. Church, we have a lot to celebrate this holiday season. God loves us, and he showed us that by sending his son. He is a God of hope. So when things seem out of control in your life, know that he is in control. When things seem dark, know that he is light. When, when things seem, seem like they're hurting, know that he is the healer. When you seem to be empty in life, know that he's the provider. When you seem hopeless in life, know that Jesus Christ is our hope. I'm going to go ahead and ask our shepherds and their wives to gather along the wall of this room. And every single time that we uh, enter into this moment through the course of this year, of this uh, month rather, I'm going to ask two questions as we close out. And one of those questions is, what is God saying to you? Secondly, what do you need to do about it? Because you and I have things going on in our life, and sometimes we just simply have said yes to Jesus at one point in our life, but life has distracted us from fixing our eyes upon Jesus. And maybe it's a moment that you just need to realign your sight to the one thing that is true hope in our world. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus before, and you want that peace and that joy and that hope that only he can provide. And so saying yes to his lordship today is so important because it will be life-changing for you. My hope is that this holiday season you will re-embrace or embrace for the first time the one hope that we truly have in Jesus Christ. So let's stand with one voice and praise his holy name.